going everybody welcome to this week disassembled i'm one of your hosts aaron Pilat. this week jim and i are talking a moment of disassembly from last week we're talking about an article from the national review the so-called ideas of cultural wars and then we shift into our main segment we're talking about school systems possibly reopening in the fall betsy devos her interview with dana bash on cnn and some of the consequences that could happen from opening or not opening the schools in general. All that and more on this episode of This Week Disassembled. Welcome back. Today is July 15th, 2020. Jim, we're making our third run at this today. Second <laughs> run at this today. How are you? Let's start off with that. Well, I'm hanging in there. It's been a strange week. Been a strange week. Even stranger than everything else? I mean, it feels well, like we've been in, in Groundhog we're, Day. Yeah, I know. Apparently now we're running the numbers on how many kids we are actually going to kill. Hold on. So, hold on. Hold I'm just on. saying. Listen, listen. Do not, do not, <laughs> A, two things you will not do on this podcast. First. Uh, uh, yes. The number first, one. The first thing is give away later segments. The most yes. important one is you will not disrespect your boss, Betsy DeVos, on this podcast, okay? Yes, indeed, my boss at the Department of Education. We're, we're going to get into that. I want to start off how we usually start off, Jim, with our moment of disassembly from last week. I'll knock mine out. Mine is pretty quick. Um, had a conversation with Fonda again, and, you know, when she even opened up the conversation to what, you know, some of the some of the feedback from last week, I knew what she was immediately going to. Last week, we were talking about Donald Trump at Mount Rushmore, him speaking on desecrated land. In the midst of that, the language that I used really was an example of what we talked about last week in, you know, uh, being both the oppressor and the oppressed in the same sort of uh, using, using language, uh, but doing that at the same time. Uh, in the midst of me talking about the spectrum of privilege in this country and how cisgender, straight, white men are at, uh, you know, the top of the food chain, I did not say food chain, I said totem pole, which yeah. for obvious reasons, uh, you know, not only is ironic, but ironically terrible to be using in the midst of us talking about why Donald Trump was on sacred land. So I wanted to point that out. I know some people may feel like, you know, that's that's. That's tiny. What are you talking about? But all of this is is really, really connected to what we were talking about last week, Jim. Being able to, um, A, uh, move within the systems that we operate in, both as oppressor and oppressed. But then also understanding that the language that we've been given, whether that is catchphrases or whatever, can be reflective of that system as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that it is kind of interesting. You know, I guess when I was growing up, that reference, um, the totem pole reference high on the totem pole or at the bottom of the totem pole, you didn't really think about how that might affect someone who, you know, that religious symbol is sacred to. And I think that, you know, in these moments now, when we're thinking about these things more openly, why not kind of examine the analogies or the idioms that we use in English to describe situations, you know, because they really are sort of bound culturally to the time that they were developed. And like a lot of th things that we refer to that we don't refer to anymore, 
Um, you know, maybe even simple stuff like that can go out of our language too. Obviously, there are words we shouldn't use at all. And those have grown over the years, right? We, for in my house, uh, using the N word was never going to be okay, right? My kids have grown up in a world where in my house, you couldn't use the N word. You couldn't use the F word to describe gay people. You, and you couldn't use the C word describing a woman's genitalia. Right. Okay. Like there are certain words that we've all had to sort of get out of our, and along with those words are phrases that we have to think about. What does this mean? You know, we used to call, how many times did you, have you heard on a basketball court or growing up or whatever, right. you know, don't be a, don't, don't be such a girl. What kind right. of foul is that? Right, or right, don't right. be such a Mary or don't, wow. well, what are, you know, I what use a little harsher saying? language than that, Jim. <laughs> I know, but you know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of, we have to think about the implications of that. And what it reinforces. Um, exactly. It reinforces a hierarchy of maleness and uh, womanhood being something less than that. Right. And that's, you know, we can go right down the rabbit hole on that. That's built into a lot of Judeo-Christian um, sort of theory. Not everyone believes that, but it is written into um, at least one of the first two, um, you know, uh, uh, stories well, in the two, Bible that, right. that talks about, you know, the creation of the world. There are three or four, depending on who you ask, um, creation stories in the Bible. The first two, one of those stories, the woman is literally developed from the man. It from the establishes exactly establishing a hierarchy. The other story in the beginning is talking about they were uh, created from the dirt or the mud, depending on your the point being that there are some very basic institutions in our culture. And I'm not talking about now going around, you know, this cancellation culture. I'm not talking about burning churches down, for God's sake. What I'm saying is we need to honestly look at the words and language that we have carried into our time from another time and ask ourselves, what does that mean? Do we really think that that represents the values that we want to have as a culture? And if, and if we, and even if we aren't thinking about it, on the deepest levels, I think we need to understand that some of this language, like like you pointed out, is is self-perpetuating, self-reflecting, right? There has to be an understanding of where this stuff even comes from because language evolves, culture evolves, how we use those things, right? Like we used to use gay as an adjective, you know, yeah, with something that was synonymous with stupid or dumb or whatever. And, yeah. you know, those are things that we move away from. How many times did I hear the F word, not only in rap, but like on a basketball court, whatever yeah. back then, something demoralizing, setting people on lower parts of these so-called, so you know, social food chain, um, setting up a hierarchy, setting up a hierarchy that we reinforce with our language, even if you are not an outright bigot. These are things that are reflective. So it was something I wanted to talk about. I know there was something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it was kind of on the lines of, well, it's it's sort of related to this. So it, it has to do with framing and the language that's used to describe people. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, our old friend and boss at ESPN Radio, uh, Mark Hauser, sent me an article 
um, from for uh, from National Review. National Review is an online publication. It used to be a magazine. Can you can you give people a little bit of background in case they don't know anything <laughs> about National Review? I think there's some context well, that needs to be here. Yeah, as if I wasn't going to anyway. I guess they probably dread these moments, but. Um, yeah, National Review was a magazine founded by William F. Buckley uh, William in the mid-50s, sometime in the mid-50s. He was the sort of the journalistic founder of the conservative movement in America, late 20th century conservative movement. Um, he was, but he was a strict, you know, elitist. He wasn't uh, back then, this is prior to the sort of political deal Ronald Reagan's people made with the Robert Reed's evangelical wing in 1980. Back then, conservatives were mostly strict constitutionalists. They weren't, now, they weren't, in my mind, great people then either. They sort of wanted to restrict rights as opposed to extend them. But um, at the same time, I don't want, he didn't have a sort of religious fervor that you sort of see in this writing now. National Review um, was a, you know, sort of a legitimate publication for a long time. I don't know if that's still the case, but the point is, this article was written by um, by a man from the Hoover Institution. The Hoover Institution is a conservative think tank uh, located at Stanford University. The man's name is Victor Davis Hanson. He got a PhD from Stanford. Um, in the classics, we'll leave a link. We'll leave a link as always, yes. uh, you know, you know, in the comments at the end, but you said, uh, keep going. I'm sorry. Tell me more about the author. No, not at all. So he just, he, he got, he has a degree in classics. He's considered a military expert. Um, the classics are like the people who study Greek and Roman history and culture and so forth. Um, and I don't even know it probably it might even be a philosophy degree but that probably depends on the institution anyway he's a neoconservative and he wrote this article called year zero where he sort of bemoans what he calls the cultural revolution or cultural war that's occurring as a result oh my of god the death of george floyd exactly oh and oh my god and so the first thing I want, I, it's the reason, the only reason I'm addressing this for one thing is because I respect Mark Hauser a great deal and he wanted my feedback on it. Sure. And I got, but this is typical. Um, this is sort of what we're up against and people need to be aware of this. This is a person who has been rewarded with a lot of power by the existing system and he is not going to give up anything within that system uh, easily. But the language he uses, and this is where we started with this, is important. And I want to just read you a couple of excerpts because this is how it starts. Oh, I got some too. So I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to exchange this a little bit. Well, so just from the beginning, he says, every cultural revolution starts at year zero, whether explicitly or implicitly, meaning what, what he's saying there is every cultural revolution that happens, the generation that takes up that revolution wants to undo all the um, sort of harsh aspects of the previous culture that they're re replacing. And that's, that's sort of one of those throwaway lines. But then what he says is the French Revolution recalibrated the calendar to begin anew. And the genocidal Pol Pot declared his own Cam Cambodian revolutionary ascension as the beginning of time. Okay, well, just hold on. 
first of all, the French Revolution, I guess, was a cultural revolution. But it also happened to be like a real revolution where the economic system, the power, the structure, the, the economy, everything was turned upside down. They weren't just uh, ironically bringing out guillotines. They were literally bringing out guillotines. Yeah, they, they literally stormed the Bastille like <laughs> yesterday, you know, 200 and whatever. 40 years ago, 41 years ago. Like it's, it's like it, you know, they, that was, they chopped off, a, you know, Marie Antoinette's head. Like they, that was not just a cultural war where, as we've talked about before, people are simply asking the government uh -huh. for a redress of their grievances. Right. And for too long, they've gone unanswered. Now, the second part of that is the most disturbing to me, where he tries to call Pol Pot some, the leader of some cultural revolution. Now, I'm, I'm thinking that this is exactly what some professors like to do. They like to reach out and grab some friggin' remote arcane reference and throw it in a sentence and hope you won't question it, okay? Well, here's what happened. Pol Pot was the leader of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, okay, after the CIA in the United States bombed the hell out of Cambodia, who we were not at war at with, okay, an illegal war. And they did that because the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong were using the Cambodian mountains to move supplies into South Vietnam. It destabilized the government, okay? Is that something we've done before? Is that, something, exactly. is that something this, this country and, has done? Exactly. And what happened was, okay, they had um, they had a, a revolution there. The existing king, I think, asked the North Vietnamese to invade his country because he couldn't control Pol Pot. Anyway, all said and done, Pol Pot, this war leader, uh, this warlord kind of wins this this civil the civil war in Cambodia and immediately goes on and and at the same time South Vietnam falls the United States withdraws immediately goes on this um genocidal sort of movement within his country and literally kills one out of every four people in the country two million Cambodians this, uh, okay. again, does not sound cultural. This sounds very literal, no. Jim. This sounds very it's, literal. Uh, it's, it was ethnic cleansing at its finest. Most of the people killed were uh, ethnic minorities, right? political enemies, and the usual suspects, people with disabilities, people who may have been uh, gay or lesbian or transgender, you know, on and on and on. Um, so my point being... For someone with a PhD in classics to make those two references at the beginning of their statement is really quite striking because they, because they are trying to twist, as we talked about last week, they're trying to rewrite the history and right. twist it in their own way. Because he then goes on to talk about Black Lives Matter and Antifa as if they are somehow synonymous with what happened in the French Revolution and in Cambodia. So we call a false equivalency for 3,000, exactly. Jim. Yeah. False for, equivalency for those for following along with your, your Greek deductive logic, that's a false equivalency. That, exactly. 
Um, Jim, I'm just I'm just a little surprised because you know, not only not only was it a little alarming how this opens, but the connection that he continues to make through this process of Black Lives Matter, all these sort of things are just really um, interesting. And when I say interesting, they're very cheap, you know, like in the second paragraph, when he's talking about did Black Lives Matter, did the Black Lives Matter idea of cannibalizing the billionaires include LeBron James, Beyonce, Oprah Winfrey, and likely soon to be billionaire Barack Obama. Before yeah, I get yeah. into any of the problems with, the, with that. What do they all have in common? They are black. They are black, prominent heroes. And, uh, you, you know, b before I before I even dive into why that's problematic, the answer is yes. No good billionaires <laughs> is usually the rule of thumb on this podcast. If anybody hasn't caught that yet, no good billionaires. Everybody knows, huge Jay-Z fan, no good billionaires. I am a Beyonce, I'm a fan of Beyonce's music, no good billionaires. It, for anybody who's been listening to the Carolina Knicks tape uh, podcast, you know, as it turned into this, I... I, 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 I have a deep love for Robin Rihanna Fenty. And when she becomes a billionaire, the rule will still be no good billionaires. So the answer is yes to that. He moves on. And, you know, this is, this is, you know, the other thing I wanted to bring up, he says, you know, are there now three Americas, one of white guilt and penance, one of black anger and victimization and another seething in silence as they see their 244 years of history written off as something worse than the past of Somalia, Peru, Iran, and Serbia, or Serbia. Well, there aren't three Americas. I mean, I'm sure there are probably more, but uh, this idea of black victimization is absolutely hilarious. And I think, you know, he reveals himself because he probably falls into that third category I mean, he's he's not quietly seething, but he is seething at the fact that obviously the 244 years of white history that we've been told people are questioning. And he's drawing it to this idea, like you said in the very beginning of this cultural reset, which could destroy everything. You know, this this feels very much like what about the women and kids, Jim? This feels very well, ridiculous. It, it is. It's and he, what he doesn't say, but what he's doing, everything but saying is that it's reverse racism. This is seriously because you can't because you can't because he can't say that. He knows he can't say that, but he basically is describing the talking point of this is reverse racism. And it's insane. And the other problem is, you know, when he's talking about the, you know, people seething as in silence as they see 244 years of history, right before that, he he devoted an entire paragraph to the Civil War. OK, and 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 uh, that that as if uh, and contextualizing uh, what the Shelby Foote quote about the Confederate defeat is thousands of brave men dying for a tragic cause beneath them. Well, I mean, come on. What's that tragic cause? Which, which yeah, part is tragic? I, OK, here's the tragedy. A bunch of white poor people were set against. Right. A bunch of even poorer and more disadvantaged black people by the rich and powerful in the South. Right. You know, I'm not gonna deny the fact that most households in the South were not slave owning them, but that doesn't mean that the South wasn't a slave state. Right. Okay, it just it just boggles the mind. And so when you, so that 244 years of history he's talking about, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about slavery, then we're talking about re reconstruction with which brought us Jim Crow, 
and segregation and separate but equal. We can talk and, about mass incarceration and, after that. And over 4,000 lynchings of black men in the South after the Civil War. And, and those are just the ones we know about. Thank you. On and on and on. And on. Okay, so what history exactly are you talking about? Because if because if you're going to talk because he does go into the whole pulling the statues down and all this yeah, other I, stuff. I mean, but but again, which, it's just it's 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 more false equivalency and it's more like this slippery slope that people throw out. You know, he says, "Well, we will we say the old statues were bad because they were not perfect, but the new replacements are perfect, despite being a tad bad in places." Will we dedicate more memorials to Martin Luther King Jr.? the great advocate for civil rights movement, or do we focus instead on his plagiarism, yeah. his often poor treatment of women and his reckless promiscuity? Oh my God. I no, mean no, 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 I'm uh, sorry, Vic. We, we don't have to focus, but we can do both. We can right. look at the whole human, right? We can look at the whole human as a flawed human, just like all of us. Okay. We can, we're, we're capable of both. This is the problem. You get this, person of immense political and economic sort of um placement in the hierarchy and 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 he gets to wield that power and what does he do with it bitch and moan he, he, he says here's what he says he makes the again the false equivalency where he says puritanical cultural revolutionaries are always a minority of society this is the equivalency oh, with black lives God. matter Oh God! Whether they win or lose, that is whether they end up as Bolsheviks or Jacobins. Okay, so Bolsheviks are communists, became communists. Right. So we know they're evil. Right. Jacobins are the ones that cut off poor Marie Antoinette's head. Right. And and most of these most of these neocons are 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 monarchical in their bent. Neo what? Okay. Neo what? Yeah. Yeah, hinges on how successfully they terrify the masses into submission. Oh my God! Do we talk about how I'm terrified into submission every single day, being black okay. in this country? I mean, what are exactly. we doing? What are we doing? Silent majority. He's making the silent majority argument. Jim, I have a question for you. I don't want to generalize here. Why does it seem like prominent white racists, as soon as they are inconvenienced, they make it seem like they are, you know, like they're feeling prejudice? Like, what is this? It's well, it, I mean. You know, I'm sure that uh, there are people more capable of talking about the psychological aspects of this. But again, this is related to those the two people on the front lawn in this in St. Louis um, suburb. Okay, protecting a certain type of America, protecting the heritage of a certain type of America. They can they want to acknowledge that there is inequity. Yes, there's inequity. I'm an intelligent person. I know there's inequity, but it works for most people. And then you combine that with this sort of um, puritanical, um, uh, you know, bootstrap kind of like, if you work hard, you will make it. Uh-huh. And it, But uh-huh. if you work hard and you don't make it, that's on you. It's your fault. This, it's your fault. It's We've got this sort of um, cultural narrative of personal responsibility to the point of destruction of the human himself, that he will work himself to death trying to live up to this. And so here's the thing. And if he doesn't, if he or she doesn't, then they are, they are, they are of no value anyways. Pick your side, work yourself to death or 
find eventual death because no one you you hold no value within this system so good old you know you know good old vic hansen is on the winning he's he may not feel like he's winning because he's he's complaining a lot for someone who's winning a lot but what he knows is this system works well enough for him and the other thing is the other thing that that i don't want to miss with this is the inequity in the in the in the exchange itself right okay vic uh you know dr vic can go to national review magazine and get published like that he's got access in order for say that last part again say that he has what he has access he has access in order for black people to even get our country to look honestly for the first time in a very long time at police brutality, black people and some of their um, allies, friends, and supporters also had to go into the streets during the plague, during the latest plague to get a redress of their grievances. There is a hundred percent difference in the level of access there. And that cannot be ignored. Just because Dr. Hansen is one voice doesn't mean that your voice or my voice or any BIPOC person in this country's voice is the same as his. It isn't. That no. is a lie. No, and 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 the access isn't just one that he has achieved on his own. There's an access and equity, which he was not only born into, but then obviously works himself in. We're talking about Stanford. We're talking about, you know, this publication. There is an amount of access there that he has, which makes this in many ways, not only reflective of the system as a whole, but why it is dangerous as, uh, you know, as it is already put, right? Because there are in many ways, a level of access that he has that many black people within the same sort of, you know, again, you know, if we're looking at the sort of uh, um, academic or sort of economic uh, uh, same structure, right, will never still have, right? Because there is a way that he can move within the system in many ways that I will never have. Many black academics will never have. Many black women will never have. And it's just, it's just really and- ironic because it is, it, it, this in itself is self, is self perpetuating of all of the things that it is it thinks it's screaming against and it is you know at the end of the day just really oblivious in many ways well they are i mean it doesn't i guess my point with all of it to would to finish it off and is just that this doesn't have to be the hunger games okay it's starting like, to look like it maybe well, doctor I, can i say something real quick i just want to say something like real quick it doesn't have to be the hunger games but i'm gonna tell you only what 13 people died in the actual hunger games yeah, so they well, were they might be doing I mean, a little better i guess i guess what might mean by that is like let's assume the best about dr hansen for a moment sure let's just say second doctor out. dr hansen grew up in my family or your family he went to school and got good grades. He went to college and got good grades. He was smart and gifted, and he had um, some sort of intellectual ability for grad school, which sure. is its own thing. Sure. And he went and got a PhD, and then he's got this fellowship. Let's say he did work hard and earn everything he 
got. Sure. Because I want to address this argument while we're on it. Because this comes up all the time. Didn't you work hard for your degrees? Sure. And maybe he did all that. So what? Because the fact is, he won the lottery. Good for him. It isn't that I'm degrading him by saying we need more access. I'm saying he shouldn't be the only one. <laughs> That's all. Spread it around. You won it's the, the lottery. It's the same argument with the healthcare, Aaron. Right. right I got right. a guy yelling at me over over um, the that ridiculous um, uh, executive order that where you know transgender people can simply be refused treatment at the doctor's office right. for no reason. Right. Okay. And he's saying, why should I pay for transgender? Uh, you know, surgery or something like that, not realizing that if a transgender person has a broken arm, they could get refused at the emergency right. room. And, and he's like, when I've got all these medical bills for my cancer and mine on and on and on and on. And I'm like, it, it isn't a contest. Right. This isn't either or. What, what, we can what, do both. Right. And we, we should, should be. Do both. Right. We should be doing both. We should be doing both because again, this only, it, 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 you know, We've been born into the religion of capitalism where, we, uh, where we've been told this false lie that there isn't enough and that your success has to come at the suffering of someone else, which Dr. isn't Hansen the case. can win. He can win in my new world. He's going okay? to. He's he going can, to. He, said he can spout his neocon religious crap Neo what? From, the, from the far right in his ivory tower. Right. You know? He'll be fine. With his with his bleached butthole and his <laughs> and his uh, and his bidet and like whatever anything else or you know I don't know what rich people do I don't know isn't that a thing bleaching your butthole I don't know it is uh, bidets are nice are they see I don't have a bidet I'm sorry. Nice little, it's a nice That's little right. tickle nice little tickle Probably. okay I don't I, I know too much about you already well That's all right. you know okay. last thing I'll say I, I like it cold. Warm but he doesn't warm. have to be the only one who wins. No. Like, no. you know, like we can spread the and, wealth around. And he'll be all right. He'll be all right, exactly. Jim. Look, right. I, I want I want to get into the next segment. Um, look, I, I want to talk, I want to talk about what's happening right now. I know this is going to be a little well connected for you. Um, but Betsy DeVos over the weekend was uh was on she was on CNN. She was on CNN multiple times doing interviews. Uh, but one that I find very significant was one with Dana Bash a few days ago. Jim, you are a teacher. I will let you give a little bit more background about that. Um, but we are about anywhere between four to six weeks, depending on where you are in the country, with what is supposed to be the start of the 2020 school season, both uh, you know K through 12 and a lot of colleges. And I don't know if anybody has noticed we are 130,000 bodies in uh in terms of coronavirus California here in the state of California um yesterday they passed their record number before there are 11,000 known cases of coronavirus in the last 24 hours which like demolishes the last record but Trump came out last week and said schools they need to open have to open, have to open. Yeah. Betsy DeVos came out and, you know, look, man, look, toy soldier, you wind them up and hope they go far. Got a lot of cheap toy soldiers, but, De but Betsy DeVos was here. Um, I want to, I want to go into the beginning of this interview real quick where she is, Dana is basically asking her, um, you know, what the plan is for the fall. Uh, and I want you to give a little bit of background about, you know, where you are, 
your sort of position working in. But uh, let's get into this first question with Betsy DeVos and uh, Dana Bash. Uh, I'll let Dana take it away. Well, the key is that kids have to get back to school. And we know there are going to be hot spots, and those need to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis. But the rule should be that kids go back to school this fall. They've been missing months of learning. Many of them are going to be so far behind, difficult to catch up. And we know that this is a matter of their health in a multitude of factors or multitude of dimensions. We know that their emotional well-being, their mental well-being, and particularly for kids from low-income and uh, vulnerable populations, this is devastating to be out of school and not learning for months on end. Jim? I mean, come on. What about the women and children, Jim? Well, I mean, so here's the thing. This is what these this is what these people do all the time. She said something that's nominally true, right? Oh, being out of school really does target um, the the most vulnerable populations. They rely on schools for meals and you know after school programs, which is essentially extended school day and daycare and so yeah, forth. But and Jim, they, Jim, like Jim. she's saying all these things that are nominally true we know that but, does she but, no but here's what she's saying the the key to all that is like she's like she's we know there'll be hot spots well like 37 states are seeing coronavirus inc- increase so i don't know what hot spot she's talking about but let's let's just dive into that word hot spot for sure. a second i mean you said the numbers were around three and a half million um cases, cases. in general we're around 140,000 at my last checking um, deaths. Uh, people die. We're talking about a 4% fatality rate. You get it? 4%. One out of every 25. Well, there were four adults and 45 kids in the two classes that I worked in this past. So I'm just going to have to pick two of them to die. That's what that means. One out of every... so. So my point is, when she talks about hotspots, we're talking about death. We're not just talking about people getting sick. But Jim, Jim, you know, she has argued at times, just like uh, Pence, Trump, some of these other people uh, who are not scientists, have said that, look, the children are not the most vulnerable part of the community. You know, at first it was the old people. It was only them. And then young people started getting it. Jim, three weeks ago, I'm sorry, four weeks ago, a 28-year-old just got the first successful double lung transplant from COVID, right? So it seems like the goalposts haven't been moving. It just seems like it is, oh, well, it's just old people got to worry about. Oh, well, now it's young people got to worry about. The kids won't get it. Well, that's that's just, um, so again, that would be, only understood by people who don't know the history of our own country and the and the world during the last pandemic number one number so but let me back up just for a second the second thing you said she was doing before i address it well no it's not the the, the second point i wanted to make is there are three million teachers in this country right well are we ready to kill one hundred twenty thousand of them because 4% of 3 million is 120,000, if I'm not wrong. Is that, am I correct on that? Your I math think is I correct. Am. Your math is okay. correct. Well, I mean, when we already know what the answer is, they secretly know what the answer is. The right. answer is everybody needs to stay home. 
That's just the answer. But Jim, but, you can't you can't open up an economy without the schools. Well, no, you can't because you need poor people to go to work, and that's oh, really the issue. Oh, so you're telling okay, me rich people so, don't make their money; we make it for them? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look, what's really uh, frightening about all of this is, and the New York Times just had an article on this. Um, they asked for data on the racial inequality of coronavirus right. to try and see what's going on. They had to sue the CDC to get the, the information under Freedom of Information Act. That's a, a really good sign. Great. But they ended up getting it. And basically the, the bottom line is um, people of color, black, indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC people are, are th at least three times as likely to get coronavirus and they die at a rate that's, uh, I believe, four times the rate. So, so it is affecting um, the sort of vulnerable populations already. And the very vulnerable populations that Betsy DeVos is talking about, if they go back to school, are going to be the ones with the highest fatality rates. So when she's talking about, oh, their mental health, yeah, that's a concern. It's a concern somewhere down the list after number one, which is, can we guarantee that we can get them through the day alive? Right. And I don't think I don't think many people understand that. I don't think many people understand what you opened up your comments with, too. I think many people are starting to see it now. But look, man, I, I, I was just in a former workplace where you know some of the people did not understand or would not admit that they utilize school not only as a place where their kids are being you know taught how to be functional members of society but it's a daycare it's helping get food and if you're in a most vulnerable community right we're talking about immigrants we're talking about low socioeconomic status for many students this is the only place they're gonna get their meal for the day this is keeping them out of their homes you know the school in many ways can be safer than the homes that they're in right so we're talking about putting those students those children who are already involved vulnerable situations into a different type of vulnerable situation and this isn't hyperbolic here jim right like there are going to be teachers that die because of this right well, if nothing Aaron, radical changes they're going to be students and teachers that die from this well yeah because think about this think about the pressure the economic pressure on the most vulnerable families in our country they don't have a choice what, what's going to happen they're going to have to go to work and they're going to take their their kid who's covid positive and they're going to put them on the bus and send them to school right? because they have to, because they don't have a choice because they can't leave them at home. They got to go to work or they're not going to pay their rent or they're not going to pay their electric bill or they're not going to be able to buy food. They're good. So it's a, it's a, it's a Hobson's choice. You either. Okay. So what, and if you don't think that's going to happen, I'm not blaming the parents. I'm not, it's not even their fault. No. They're being given a, a choice between Scylla and Charybdis, a rock and a hard place. You either, you can starve or you can all and stay home and protect everyone else, or you're already exposed, send the kid to school, I can go to work. Like there's no, that is what we're gonna put families through. Logistically, like I just don't, I don't even think from like a math standpoint, but just even like a basic logistical standpoint, what happens when one kid comes in the classroom and gets everyone sick? What happens when a teacher gets sick? You're telling me a substitute teacher is going to be, you know, excited to hop back into that environment? I think there's so many logistical. Aaron, what what do we do with the mental health of these kids when 
um, four weeks into the school year, their homeroom teacher dies of COVID. How's their mental health then? Well, we just put another teacher in and pretend like it's all normal. Oh, yeah, no big deal. I taught fifth grade. I got news for you, man. We spent more time with those kids than their families do. They don't, you don't get it. The emotional connection a child makes with a teacher is, and Betsy DeVos does not get it. Doesn't get it. And then the other thing that she's talking about, like, it's not just COVID. I actually did some research on this because I I want, so I talked to um, a doctor acquaintance of mine about this who worked at a a hospital in, uh, in a local hospital, big local hospital that was a hotspot. They were triaging. Battlefield triaging, meaning, I'm sorry, you're 64 years old. I can't save you. What it, or I can, you're 64 years old. The resources I could use to save you, I could save the 28 year old with and not use as many resources. I'm sorry. I have one ventilator. I'm either going to give it to the 59 year old or the 22 year old. Who's getting it? Okay. They were making those decisions. And what he was saying was, Look, there is, it is, there is too much we don't know. Okay. There is, there is so many, you know it, like they found Kawasaki's in kids. Kawasaki's like a swelling disease. Well, right. it turns out it might not have been Kawasaki. It might have been encephalopathy, which is the brain's very dangerous right. brain swelling. There is precedent for this, Aaron. The 1920s, after H1N1, the, the Spanish flu, okay, came in the eight, between 1918 and 1920. There was a, a, a epidemic, at least in the terms of how often it happened, in encephalitis lethargica. And you already know, what, if you are listening to my voice, you know what that is, because you've seen Awakening. Right. The Robin Williams movie right. with, Rob, with uh, Robert De Niro as the patient. That is encephalitis lethargica. It was a, they believe, but because the technology at the time was not very good, they believe that that was just how that virus manifested itself. Uh, Jim, I, I don't think people understand. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I just, no, you're not. I, I you're just, not. I just, it's just think just that the doctor, the doctor is basically saying to us, look, this virus attacks people in every possible way you could imagine a virus attacking them and it does it lethally and we have no idea we have no idea on the back end right like there's so much this is the thing that i think is really really insane from like a litigation standpoint that people aren't even thinking about like think about all of the litigation that's going to come in the next 20 years because of the things we find out after this quote-unquote pandemic is you know air quote over right like we don't even know what this is doing to our bodies right so like what happens when the fifth grader who catches covid because he goes to school in seventh grade right has uh you know lung failure or something because of the covid they caught you know two years ago what what type of what type of future litigation are we opening uh these school districts to uh and you know i think it's really curious because it's it's the reason why as we go into this next clip at these next few clips why betsy devos is not giving a green light which why you you aren't hearing them say outright go back to school. The plan needs to be go back to school, but we're not technically telling anybody to go back to school because these people aren't dumb. I mean, they're idiots, but they aren't no. dumb in the sense no. of, of of they know 
the fact that there is going to be an inherent risk here. I want to get into this next clip where she's where where Dana asks her, you know, look, like I know that you said that kids couldn't catch it, and she asks her again, like, tell me your position uh, in the sense of where do you think uh, on whether you think kids can not only catch this virus but how they can spread it. Dana asks the question. Uh, Betsy, go ahead and answer away. Well, we know that children get the, the virus at a far lower rate than any other part of the population. No, we and don't know again, that, Betsy. There is no, nothing in the data that would suggest that kids being back in school is, uh, is dangerous to them. And in fact, it's, oh, it's more a, a matter of their health and well-being that they be back in school. And we've seen this in countries, other countries in Europe and, and elsewhere in the world where students huh. have gone back to school False and have done so very successfully. And that should be the... Do you know why kids in other countries are going back to school? Because they don't have states like Florida, which have more coronavirus cases than Italy when it was in its peak, right? They're going back to school because they're having single digit cases with no deaths for two straight weeks. They're going back to school because they did it right. They did it right. (laughs) Exactly. This is insane. What are we talking about? We're talking about sending kids back. Yeah, Europe. Europe's doing it better. Yeah, you're right. They are because they got their crap together and dealing with the virus. They dealt with the health problem and they didn't turn it into a political problem. It gets better, Jim. It gets better because Dana is about to ask her. I just need to know straight up. You are the secretary of education. Just answer the question. Do Do you have a plan? Dana Bash, take it away. Ensure that kids can continue learning uh, at a distance if they have to for but a short period of time. You're the Secretary of Education. You're asking students to go back. So why do you not have guidance on what a school should do <laughs> just weeks before you want those schools to reopen? And what happens if it faces an outbreak? You know, there's really good examples that have uh, been utilized in the private sector and in and elsewhere, also with frontline workers and hospitals. And all well, of that data and all saying? of that information and all of those examples can be referenced I, not, by school okay, leaders. But I'm not here yeah. to have a plan from have the, the Department of Education. Do you have a plan? But <laughs> the plan. Do you have a plan? Schools should do what's right on the ground. No, you don't have a plan. You don't have a plan. You don't have a plan. That was the answer. All you had to say, all you had to say was, I don't have a plan. I'm on CNN. I'm looking you in the eyes and I'm realizing as I say this, that I do not have a plan. First of all, there's just, there's just some, She just pushes it on to localities, Aaron. She's just saying, or the states and the local. Oh, it's not the federal government's job. Shut up. We're in the middle of a pandemic. God, do something. Please. You don't have do, to do yeah, everything. Even if do something. You know when I was an apprentice in the, and I was an electrician for about 20 years in Boston, local 103. Um, and I had this old, uh, I had this, uh, this really mean old Italian foreman uh, uh, who shall remain nameless. Cause I don't want to make him famous <laughs> as, as if I could. But he used to scream all the time. And I remember looking at him going, what the hell is your problem? He goes, Jim, just do something, even if it's wrong. Like, just, do anything. Just do something. Be like, like, just don't sit there. Right. And give me nothing. Give me, right? be, a, be more than a breathable body. <laughs> do anything. I, know. I could get more information out of a dirigible oh only helium. 
Then she, what is she talking about? She's not talking about anything because there is no plan. There is no plan. I want to get to this last clip real quick. The it's plan a, is send these kids to school so my poor people can go back to work and make me some more billions so I can buy another yacht. Right. Right. It's it's ridiculous. I want to finish. I want to finish this this clip out with uh you know Dana asking her, hey look. You know, Dana, at this point, she's holding herself really well. And she was exasperated. You guys, if you're out there, you got to check the clip out. It's amazing. We're going to put it in there. Uh, Betsy has, she has the audacity to have some exasperation here. Once Dana asks her, well, what about virtual learning? What if, you know, we get to the real possibility of an outbreak happening? Are you cool with school starting online? It's about a minute clip. Just listen to the audacity, please. I'm saying that schools should have plans, like Miami-Dade County has. They should have plans, and the parents and, and families should know what their options are. I'm and asking what you, Madam Secretary of Education, ensure, if there is a flare-up, should schools revert to remote learning? You're very aggressive about saying reopen, and I just, yeah. the next question, the obvious question is, what happens if they feel that they can't? Are you comfortable with remote learning if they can't? I think the go-to needs to be kids in school, in person, in the classroom, because we know for most kids, that's the best environment for them. I understand that, and but we what have if to they also can't? Under- what, what if they can't what? What if <laughs> the, the school that they can't uh, safely There's an apocalypse going on, man. I don't know. I don't know Remote if you're learning. keeping up with current Remote events. Learning. I mean, seriously, seriously. Come on. What if they can't? What? Why are you here, Betsy? Like, yeah. Do you? Why am I even do, talking? To do you, you know what, when they put a mic on you? Like, <laughs> what you were interviewing about? <laughs> no, Betsy. Do you, so Dana Bash should have totally dropped that honor. Like, Betsy, do you know who I am? Do you know why like, you're here? Like, do, do you, you know what my job is? Do you know what like, she should have said? You know what she should have said? She should have. Oh. Dana should have said to her. Betsy, do you know what your job is? Like, do you, like, you are the secretary of education, right? Like, what yeah. happens if we can't have education in oh. the normal front? So she's saying, she literally said schools should have a plan. Okay. I don't have to have a plan, but they the school should definitely have a plan. My name's Betsy Devos. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What you know? I do want to say this too, Aaron. What 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 world are we living in, Jim? I know I, I hate CNN because they are just they are just the absolute problem with news delivery in this country. They think they're woke, they're not. Sure, they're selling. But I got to tell you, Dana Bash is a real journalist, has been for years, and I will give her credit because. Betsy Devos is never coming on her program again after that interview. No. But, but but Dana was like, I'm not letting you off the hook. If you're gonna spout bull crap, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna call it bull crap. Right. Okay? Right, right. Like, all she said is like, do you have a plan? I just need you to answer that it's, one question. Just answer the so one question. Like Dana's like, look, I am a mom. I have kids. I live in the Washington area. I gotta send my kids to school. Are they going to be safe? I'm trying to, you know, reassure me. Yeah, oh, and, no. Betsy, and Betsy's like, what does that have to do with me? No, that look at I don't have a plan, but the school will have a plan, or they should. Come on. And then the plan that's being given out, it's, you know, 
the plan, there is no plan, right? The plan that they're trying to implement is get back to school. Because what Here's we're seeing, what we're seeing already yeah. is, what we're seeing already is, you know, look, I live in San Diego uh, and I, I am, I am, you know, close to uh, two of the largest school districts in the country, LA Unified and San Diego Unified, which made their announcements two days ago that they would be starting off the year, um, you know, with distance learning. Charlotte Mecklenburg School um, announced earlier today that they would be doing a sort of hybrid model, which I think is all bullshit. Um, yeah, hybrid's worse, the worst of the two. Right, like, sure, Richmond, we're going to send, send you in the hole, bring you back. We're going to send you in the hole, then bring you back. Send you in the Richmond. hole, then bring you back. Richmond, Virginia, this afternoon announced too that they were going virtual. Well, for the, just look, the year. So, look, Poway so Unified, Poway Unified. Uh, you know, which Poway is a small town here in San Diego. More, more distinctly, the OC, uh, Orange County, uh, what I like to call uh, Western South Carolina. Uh, they are basically saying, <laughs> "Hey, guess what, kids? Everything is normal. You're going back to school. Yeah. We are sending you." To school, parents get back to work, kids go back to school. Jim, I just want to re-emphasize here. I would I want to re-emphasize two things. Uh, or re-emphasize one thing, and then you know, you're a teacher, and I don't know how much you want to get into this, but the first thing is people are going to die because of this. People are going to die, and I don't mean that hyperbolic. It's just the truth because we don't know what is happening. And if we have any sort of idea that we're going to play around with these models, the moment someone gets sick, because have you met children? They sneeze in your face from two, from, you know, two, two, two inches away. They don't know what social distancing is. As you talked about last week, people are going to die. The other thing I was going to ask is I don't see school happening on a large front because correct me if I'm wrong, you're more, you are more familiar with this world than I am. Tell me why this isn't the perfect moment. And I don't, and I don't mean that to objectify the situation. Tell me why this isn't the perfect moment, why we wouldn't see an historic amount of teacher strikes across the country. Well, you might, um, that's the short answer for that second part. I, I think I am, I'm a special education teacher in Western Massachusetts <clears throat> and um, I've taught at least in the, I've taught at, in a bunch of different levels of education, but the last two years I've spent teaching fifth grade. And, um, so what I can tell you is that just the, just the idea of, um, you know, 10 year olds keeping masks on for seven hours and staying in out of each other's, you know, personal space and out of your space is just they don't recognize wrong. personal space it's ridiculous i i have been in conversations in my classroom with a student or another teacher or paraprofessional and literally found myself in the midst of a hug because someone ran up behind me and gave me a like that's like what happens that's those are 10 year olds dude i had a three-year-old you know in the last month fart on the side of my head like they don't they don't you know right i mean tells me to smell need... his feet and i love him to death i love my little nephew to death but they, do you think do you think a preschooler a first grader a kindergartner who has their hand up their nose half the time right is gonna understand oh i gotta keep this mask on you know the moment that children are inconvenienced they let know, you and everyone know they're gonna take it off and 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 it doesn't matter if you've got 25 in a classroom it doesn't matter if you've got four in a classroom it's going to happen that's what people don't understand 
that, that are making these ridiculous decisions at the federal level. Um, that being said, okay, here's the thing. I think, I think that, I think that what's going to happen is most states are going to um, come up with guidelines that districts have to meet in order to be fully in-person teaching. And those guidelines are going to be very strict and based on the CDC guidelines. And they, and they are going to ignore what the federal government is saying. And enough of them are going to do that, that the federal government can't just not, like the pushback on this is they're gonna get their funding. It's not, it's, a, it's sort of a false threat in my mind is, is the federal government restricting funding. I, and so I think what will happen is most districts will be uh, virtual to start the school year because I just, you know, people's behavior and then also what we're seeing in the spiking cases just leads me to believe we're going to be in a worse shape in a month, not better. You know, we closed schools when we had 500 cases a day. Now it's 11 thousand i don't even know the math you're smarter than me no Please do the no math no it's, it's not eleven thousand. it's like 60 something thousand yeah i'm just thinking, eleven thousand in florida there's eleven thousand no, in california right. i'm just thinking about you know what i mean oh, and that's it's what like, it, yeah 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 exactly right so i it's it it's insanity and if that's the road you want to go down then what you're going to do is you're going to kill one hundred twenty thousand teachers and let's say that the the immediate fatality rate for kids is significantly lower and let's just say it's one percent there's 60 million k through 12 students dude, in this country dude how many times is what's one percent is what's one percent of 60 million it's really easy it's really easy to do the math too many okay it's too many bodies well you're talking about six hundred thousand dead it's too many kids. bodies six hundred thousand the same number of people that died in the civil war Six hundred thousand, Jim. How normal is it for a daycare, um, for a pre-K, you know, elementary school to alert parents when there is a chickenpox outbreak or oh flu God, outbreak? Yeah. Like, yeah. why are we acting like this isn't something that we uh, that we already see, uh, right? From 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 a um, you know, from a conceptual level, like we see how schools have to handle this in general. Why are we thinking that, you know, that kids, why are we putting the responsibility on the kids? Why are we putting responsibility on kids to be safe? Why are we putting responsibility on teachers who are already underpaid, who already are supposed to be, you know, they're already supposed to be paying for their supplies. They're supposed to, uh, you know, be school psychologists at times. They're supposed to be sociologists. They're supposed to, you know, be helping socialize your students. Oh, let's also not forget the fact that we ask teachers to be, you know, bullet shields in these days where there are mass school shootings. Why are we now asking them to be nurses in a way that, hey, look, keep your kids safe if you get sick we'll figure it out why are we thinking that this is some sort of sane plan when this goes back to something you and i have brought up time and time and time again when this action by this administration seems to reinforce the fact that the cruelty is the fucking point the cruelty is the point because it goes back to what you said again right there are many people that need their kids in school because they make what 30 20 $15,000 a year working at wherever they need to fighting for their livelihood in this country, right? 
Why are we saying to them, ah, well, figure it out. They're choosing, they're choosing their poison. They're choosing their poison in a way that you said, I'm either going to work until I die, which could be at a shorter span of life than most people in this country, or I'm going to send my kid now into a hellhole where they could possibly get sick. I'm going to send my kid to a peach tree dish. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, that's, I guess that's who we are. Because that's the that's at some point the that has to be the calculation. If you're gonna if you're gonna say my election is more important than a uh, hundred kill you know killing one hundred twenty thousand teachers or killing six hundred thousand kids you know as a hypothetical, then then you you know you're just that's that you're you're sort of disconnected from humanity in a way that should um, you know which should it should uh, eliminate you from the possibility of public service because it is contrary to the very idea of service. Like, who are you protecting? I mean, it, it's very, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't exactly know how this is going to play out. I really don't. I'm very concerned about it. I have to think about going to, uh, work here and very soon and the and i as a special education teacher what i do is inherently non-distant there is a lot of one-on-one and individual support and a lot of those kinds of conversations that you talk about i have to perform as part of my daily duties um, because of the nature of the population of students that i work with and as a special education teacher so um that is also a tangent, uh, tangential kind of uh, topic for this is like, we have a whole um, population of teachers that have been trained and have learned and have experience in doing a job that is not going to exist uh, as we know it. Um, you know, we're in, we're in uh, sort of, you know, uncharted waters here. And I think I think honestly, sometimes the simplest answers are the right ones. You know, Joe Biden wants to talk about, oh, well, for example, we'll forgive, uh, you know, 10, 000, up to $10,000 of your student loans or up to 50000 if you're a teacher. Like, you've got to prove yourself to get that forgiven. You know, Bernie Sanders, who has his faults, he was just like, no, we're going to just forgive all the loans. Well, what's the difference? Well, Bernie doesn't care if, if the lenders get hurt a little bit. They won't get hurt. They'll make it up. They'll be fine. But Biden, who has a long list of donors from Wall Street, he can't do that. that. He's got to he's got to protect them somehow a little bit. By okay, this is exactly something, something. Exactly. It's the same idea. These political elites don't care. Ultimately, that we're dying. They they on a human level, like if they see you one on one, you're in pain, you're hurting. I think on a human level, they would do something. Maybe. But they see. But they seem disconnected from the idea that these policies are killing people. I don't think they care, Jim. You know, I think there, I don't mean to. I, I think equate. there's a, there's a dissonance there, right? And and I'm not saying it's completely their fault that whatever, but I don't think these people care. They don't care, man. And you know, the thing that is mind-boggling to me is you got people, and this isn't like. You know, I just find it frustrating, right? Like, I, I point back to the OC because it's so close to me. You know, I'm looking at their town hall meetings. I'm looking at their protests in Huntington Beach, whatever. And the th- look, 
outside of like ideological differences, one of the things that I just find really mind boggling is, you know, it's the same thing with like celebrity culture where I have no problem in saying, you know, no good billionaires. I don't care that I used to work for a billionaire. No good billionaires. <laughs> Do you want to know why? You know, these people don't care about you. Why are you saw, defending these people? I saw a great meme. It said, uh, no more billionaires. So if you get to 999 million, me right? out. you, 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 you win a trophy that says I won capitalism and every other penny goes to like, right. Like how much money do you need? I get it. I get These it. These people don't, don't care. They don't care know, about you. They do if not you care won the about lottery. You. If you won the lottery in business, good for you. I'm not trying to take all your money. I no. don't want, but you know what? There's enough people suffering that maybe you could let go of a, a few billion dollars. Like how many billions do you need? Really? No. How many do you need? How many can you spend when there's still a place like Flint, Michigan that has no clean water where that could have been fixed in a day by Jeff Bezos? You know, anyone. I could name a bunch of billionaires. I just quit my job. I will not name specific billionaires, but you get the drift. You get the drift. These people don't care about you. And Jim, I'm I'm actually you know, you know, you said you, you really didn't know what was going to happen in the fall. I'm going to tell you, man, I, I am a firm believer that not only are we going to be doing virtual learning, I think that virtual learning even in itself is going to be, um, is, is going to be at risk because I think again, you and I have talked about this yeah. since March as the bodies pile up, continue to pile up as we get closer to, you know, 300,000, 400,000, half a million, um, you're going to see enough people that say, this is, uh, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. We're not participating. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think ultimately you will be, um, but I will say, you know, this is going to betray the, the very fault in our system in a way where you're going to have people of means, higher socioeconomic status that are able to keep their kid at home and pay for online school. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then you're going to see paying those for who, private tutors. So whatever it takes, but you're also going to see people that that those just aren't an option. I do want to address something quickly, and sure, I, you you I think you know why I'm disagreeing with you a little bit on this. I understand how it appears people don't care about other people, and I I do feel like that is the consequence of actions okay in a sense that if if my life is somehow put in danger or dismissed by you i am going to take that as you don't care even if you are saying no i do care about you but i've got to include you in all this whole group because that's going to be the argument that they make they're going to say i'm caring about 320 million people not the however many people that are going to get on and on, right? If I kill the economy, more people will suffer. Okay, maybe that's an argument you can make. I happen to believe that we can just get, maybe what we need to do is conceptualize a, a better economy and a better political system, which we can do. Also, I just want to say this as well, but, like Jim, they could, I mean, what is stopping them from printing another couple trillion, trillion dollars. dollars yeah like what is stopping well, and- them from seriously right like we want to talk about the economy here and I, we don't have to go into like a large macroeconomic conversation here poor people have no money 
poor people, when I say poor, I'm talking about everyone who doesn't have a billion dollars because right. we're close to the if same you work, work, right? If you work for your money, you are poor, poor, right? So what is stopping them from printing another $3 trillion and saying, you know what? We saw what Italy did. We saw what the places in Europe did, right? We're going to freeze rent. We're going to freeze mortgages. We know that poor people tend to spend their money, right? Because that's just how capitalism works. To. Whatever, they, they have, have to. to, right? Um, what is stopping the economy from functioning in a different way if they don't say, we're going to pause all your payments, we're going to pause, you know, all these sort of things, we're going to give you some money to spend, but no, these idiots gave us $1,300 in March. I'm sorry, it's now July? I mean, I know it's weird. I know this all feels like time is going by so fast and so slow at the same time. $1,300, what was it supposed to do to me now in July, Jim? Like, th- it seems like no. there are answers here that people just don't want to give. And it, it, and, yeah. and it goes back to what we said earlier. We've seen this play out. We've seen this play out. They put homeless people in hotels. You know, they made this happen. What is stopping them from doing that? I don't know. I agree with you. If you could do what you did in the last four months, then we can do that all the time. We can come up with a system that can support people that way all the time. We can do that because ultimately that's the answer no one wants to talk about. The answer is pay people to stay home. That's the way you beat this virus. That's the way you isolate the virus to a degree where it cannot spread viciously among people. But, the, but I, I got to tell you, when you say they don't care, I get it. I'm not against that. But I don't want to fall into the trap, the, the um, in-group and out-group trap of making a determination about someone's personality trait and that that is the specific and most important driver of behavior when we know situational constraints environment typically predict behavior better than personality traits. And so I get what you're saying. What I'm saying is I'm not saying it's right. I think they're making a wrong decision. I think that they are sacrificing people because they know that they can, and that's wrong. And I'm sure that they are rationalizing it by saying, if we don't save this American economy, then everything is up for grabs. And I agree I just think that it's an economy that shouldn't be saved. I think that it's something that we should reimagine as with more equity. Right. But, and they, you, you, but you, these you, people are never going to give up the reins without a fight. Right. And 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 are. I want to be clear there because you and I are in the same boat. This isn't an this isn't an inherent characteristic trait. Characteristic trait. This is a characteristic trait which has been influenced by the system itself. Right. Like this isn't inherent. This isn't something that um, is a natural part of how they operate and think. This is the way that they feel that they have to think based off of uh, the variables and the surroundings that they come from. They have have been rewarded by this system. Why would you why would you think anything different, especially if the system? Exactly. And and not only that, you're going to work to support it Um, because think about it. we, We hit these. We hit these notes all the time. You take a cultural narrative that says, work hard, succeed, you'll get ahead. And that is a, is a moral in and of itself. You are special if you can do that. Okay. Sure. You get these people who, most of whom start off with huge advantages, right? Someone had money that gave them, even Jeff Bezos, who's like supposedly self-made. His parents started gave him a in a garage. 
Yeah, he, his parents gave him a quarter million dollars in in the mid '90s to keep him afloat. Like that's most families can't do that. My parents okay? have given me like a couple hundred bucks to stay afloat. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I guess what I'm I guess what I'm getting at is that is that you know we we think about these things from our own perspective all the time, and it's sort of an axiom that we learned in political science where. If, if you are a person who has been rewarded with power within a political structure or an economic structure, you are not going to be the one that tears that down and strips it back and asks the vital questions of, do we really need this? Is this does this represent our values? And so when, and so I understand Dr. Hansen, I understand Betsy DeVos, believe it or not, I mean, they have been rewarded to a degree that we cannot even imagine. But they, but we, I would say in many ways, participate in our own in our own lives in different ways, right? Like in different forms, right? Like and 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 I think that's what you're. I think that's what you're trying to get at on a larger scale for those that don't understand too. Like we do that ourselves in smaller ways. Obviously, that you know we're not rewarded with billions, not to, right? Not with the riches of. You know, King and it's not Solomon the same. I don't want to say that either. I don't want to say that either. It's not the same, but the concept remains true. Listen, man. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan said, "Money doesn't talk; it screams." Right? There's a there's a difference between my voice when I'm talking and my voice when I'm screaming. Right. It's not one level up. It's not two levels up. It's a hundred levels up. Right. It's it's a hundred times more powerful. That's what we need to think about when we think about our economic system, which values money. Money is its own moral. If you have it, you are somehow special or more moral. We look to you for answers for whatever reason. That's part of our narrative. Okay. And what I'm saying is why? Why? And why should we continue to trust these people to undo this very system that is oppressing and exploiting us. They won't do it. Joe Biden, these idiots are out here saying, oh no, vote for Joe Biden. Once he's in office, then we'll really hold his feet to the fire. We'll Will get you? him to, are you out of your mind? Will you? He's never running again. This is his last election, no matter what. It's over. Like, and do, after a lifetime of policy, um, it, as a very powerful senator, then vice president, a lifetime of policy that you can look at with Joe Biden. And you're going to tell me now you're going to hold his feet to the fire. And that's going to make him change when he's been rewarded in every single way. Single when he's going to be, when he's gonna, when he could life. Right. And he could possibly be rewarded in the highest regard with the presidency. You're telling me now he's going to change. It's the same. It's the same bullshit they said about Donald Trump. Ah, man. Like he's just doing this. Once he gets to the presidency, he's going to change. Listen, man, you, I, I know you can teach some dogs, some old dogs, new tricks. I don't know if you can teach these type of dogs some new tricks, Jim. The only difference is the only difference is Donald Trump is a uh, a populist leader. He's and so, uh, and this goes back to the sort of you know deep American politics that we had to study in grad school and sure. stuff. You know, um, populist leaders scared the framers of the Constitution. 
The reason that it scared them is because they, like Dr. Hansen, only they studied in the 18th century, studied the classics. They were raised on Greek and Roman history, philosophy, politics, etc. Okay. They knew the power of the mob. Right. That's what it was called in Rome. Right. Or or the I forget what the Greek word was, the polis or the polis in Greece, right? They knew that if too much power resided in the hands of the people, that those people might realize that they outnumber their overseers and show up at their house with guillotines. Okay? Literal, not cultural, literal guillotines. Exactly. Not cancel culture, so, we're talking literal guillotines. So they gave us this sort of illusion of democratic ends. We vote for representatives. We. Uh, we have frequent elections and that so supposedly makes us democratic, but it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Jim. The access to those halls of power are limited. Sometimes someone wins the lottery. Ocasio-Cortez hit the lottery. She got lucky and she's in those halls now. But most of the time, that's not how it goes. That's not how it works. I'm not and making so, it there. And so... The founders, the, the framers wanted to make sure that they cast forward in the future that their society would be, that the, the same people that ruled in their time would rule in the future. Their progeny, either biologically or economically or whatever, their point was. We gonna stay in power. That's it. Meet the new boss, man. <laughs> we okay? gonna stay in power. Meet, that, Pete Townsend. Meet the new boss. Same, <laughs> same as the old boss. Jim, okay? we are wildly over. Wildly yes, over. as always. As always. Wildly over. Quickly, if you can give me 30 seconds or less before we get in your song, what was your moment of zen this week? I, I actually saw... Uh, here's what my moment of zen was. This is very interesting. I thought... Um, Della Don, the WNBA. Elena Della Don, who plays for the Washington Lane, Mystics. Uh, reigning WNBA MVP. Um, talk about exploited uh, workforce, by the way. But um, she, for health reasons, said that she's not going to play in the WNBA season. She has Lyme disease. She has Lyme disease. The doctors apparently on the... WNBA, uh, their doctors. Staff, their doctor completely misdiagnosed it all along, said she was crazy, didn't take her seriously, which is what doctors do to women all the time. You know, gaslighting, okay. you know, it works. But she's now on 64 different pills a day. And all I could think of, this was, it's kind of a long way to around, but I was like, okay, here's, it's hard to get Lyme disease. Like, you got to go out, you got to be walking and you got to get a tick on, like, it's not like someone sneezed in your general vicinity. No. A t and the, the WNBA, which is connected to the NBA and has access to all the finest medical resources in the world. The most progressive league in the United States. Couldn't keep their MVP. Couldn't di properly diagnose their MVP. Just and, couldn't do it. And now we're saying she either plays and puts her auto or her compromised autoimmune system uh, and herself at risk or forfeit her pay, which, you know, she said today, look, I don't make MBA type of money. This is no, money. They make like, like 60 or 70 grand a year. They, right. She makes more money on 
endorsements, but it's still not millions of dollars that right. she's making, killing herself on a basketball court. You know, I just thought it was just like, what? Like they are so desperate to get sports back to distract us from what is happening. Thank what you. is happening. They want sports back so bad ding, 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 that they're, ding, ding, they're just going to, we ding, ding, might as well just kill some of them too. Hey, look, I know that Florida is the hottest hot spot in the world, but who gives a shit? We're going to open up Disney world. Cause why don't, why don't you want to see underpaid immigrants in costumes entertaining your children while you have a mask on? It's all going to work out great. It's all going to work out great, Jim. Yeah, so Jim. That was my, <laughs> my moment of unzen. We need to be start calling it the unzen. Well, moment. I had a moment of Zen in the last oh, seven okay. days. Right. Um, my moment of Zen came on Friday and I won't go into complete details. Um, <laughs> my moment of Zen came because I woke up on Friday and I said, you know what? Today's the day. Friday. I ain't got no job. And I ain't got shit to do. We're gonna get in trouble if we go down this road. With Quitting this movie, my job man. was 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 a a moment of zen. I'm gonna leave it at that. And more you know, like Freddie Jackson. More like Freddie Jackson. Damn. Don't don't don't. I'm not gonna don't, say. I'm not gonna say. The don't. the other moment of zen I had. And this is all I'll say is celebrating your birthday. All of that said, uh, introduce. Oh, come on now. Come on. Now. Introduce us to your oh, song. song. Yeah, let it roll. Let it roll. This Let's is, uh, get it. This is uh, this is from my uh, my time as a teenager. This great song, and I was listening to Dana Bash and Betsy Devos, and I literally could just. This was all I could think of. Have you heard this? I have. Little talking, little talking heads. Jim, we made it through another week, man. We did. We made it through we another did. week. We'll be back next feeling, week. I have a feeling we're on a road to nowhere. Hey, he said it. They said it. We're here now. We have no idea where we're going to be in the next few weeks. Probably nowhere in the middle of Groundhog's Day. We hope you enjoyed it this week. We hope that you leave us comments. Please, we take those seriously. Like, yes, we do. subscribe, rate, anywhere that you get your podcasts. We're always listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. We're here. We check enjoy the links. This. Yes. Check the links and, and fact check us. That's what we like. We will have links in the uh, description as usual for this week. As always, I'm still Aaron Palat. He's still Jim Heenahan. This has been This Week Disassembled.